Good morning again. I invite you to take your Bibles and open to the book of Jude. We're going to finish up with the last two verses in the book of Jude. It's on page 1027 in the Pew Bible. Page 1027 in the Pew Bible. And uh, just a reminder, in case you hadn't heard, uh, when we close our service today, we'll pray. We're going to sing the, the doxology to wrap our time up in Jude. But then we'd like to take a picture. And so what we're going to do is ask you to just remain in your seats for a few seconds, and we'll get the tripod set up, and then we'll ask you to stand and scoot together to fit everybody in, okay? So we're going to take the picture facing this way, because not all of you can fit up here like we've done in the past. So uh, it'll just be very brief, get your smiles ready, uh, but we'll do that directly after the service here before we're dismissed and, and get that. So thank you for, uh, for doing that with us. Jude 24 and 25, hopefully you found your way there. Let's pray, and then we will read our passage together this morning. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ who holds us fast. Lord, we are not saved by our own efforts. We are not saved by our own works. We are not kept by our own works or our own effort. Lord, though you call us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling and to demonstrate fruit of faith in Christ, ultimately we rest secure in Jesus Christ. Lord, who can bring a charge against God's elect? No one can. Why? Because our debt has been paid in full by Jesus, and we have his righteousness accredited to our account. Lord, thank you that nothing can remove that. Height, depth, angels, principalities, powers, anything that could happen, Nothing can separate us from your love in Jesus Christ. And now, Lord, as we read these last verses, these great verses of doxology, of giving praise to you, Lord, help us to remember how truly great and awesome and wonderful and mighty and powerful you are. How that should cause us to be humble and thankful because you love us. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. These last two verses are the fitting conclusion to Jude's letter. It's brief. It's 25 verses. But in the span of these 25 verses, Jude, he touches on several different things, and he concludes with these last two verses of doxology, of giving praise, of describing God in several different terms, but truly as the one who is worthy of all worship. If I ask you this question, I'm sure there'd be several different answers. What is the greatest thing you've ever seen? What is the greatest, most amazing thing you've ever seen? Earth. <laughs> oh, birth. <laughs> birth. It's like earth. That covers a lot there. <laughs> if, you've been to the, if you've been to the Grand Canyon, that's one of those awe, jaw-dropping moments. Um, one of our favorite places we've been to is uh, Yosemite National Park in California. And standing on the floor of the valley looking up at all these cliffs, it, it was just beautiful. Maybe seeing the ocean for the first time or 
a special spot that you know about or something like that, right? The greatest thing you've ever seen. Maybe something you've witnessed, uh, an event that happened and you were present. I can't say that I've been present at too many earth-changing or uh, history-changing things. Uh, One thing that it was been kind of cool to think about, that I was at the very first Hawkeye football game where they did the wave. And uh, the first game of the 2017 season, uh, I was there with uh, the pastor I was serving with in Mason City. And so it's kind of cool. The first time they ever did the wave at the Hawkeye football game, I was there. So that's kind of something cool to, to remember. What is the, maybe the best, right? We love top 10, the, the best. What is the best of the best? Where can you find the best food, the best burger, the best tenderloin, the best pizza? There's something about these things that we love as humans, right? Top 10 American authors. What's the best book you've ever read? What's the best meal you've ever had? You start talking about pies around here and we start talking about the best pie makers. And it really filters back to a couple ladies I found and their recipes that have been handed down. We could go on and on, right? We could go on and on about the greatest, the best, the most amazing. And we love to do that. Now, many of these things are subjective, right? The best pie is banana cream, no question, right? And some of you might be like, Kurt's shaking his head, cherry, am I right, Kurt? Kurt's, Kurt's a cherry pie guy. It's subjective, right? It's, oh, I like this, or you like that, or I like this more than this. And, and there's this debate that goes on and on about all kinds of different things. Most of the praise that we give to things is subjective. One person agrees with you and the next person doesn't. But here at the end of Jude, Jude breaks in to this song of praise, to this doxology. He closes his letter by giving praise to the one who truly deserves it, to the one who truly is the greatest, the best, the most amazing. It's God himself. And this is important as we think of the letter of Jude. Because the book of Jude is full of warfare, of contending, of agonizing, of strife, of conflict, right? Jude wants to write about the common salvation, but he's felt led to write about contending for the faith against these false teachers and this struggle and judgment and this spiritual warfare that's happening. And sometimes in the midst of battle, you can think, is it worth it? Who's going to win? What's going to be the result? But here at the end, Jude describes the ultimate victory. And our big idea is this, is that God secures the ultimate victory against any and all false teachers, which brings about praise and glory to him and him alone. God secures the ultimate victory. We talked about uh, knowing your enemy and having a a battle plan and the call to arms of, of contending for the faith. But we know that the ultimate outcome and victory rests secure in God because he's the one who brings about the ultimate victory. And because of this, all praise and glory is due to his name. This battle with false teachers, at the end of a day, will come to an end. And Jude breaks into this doxology, which reminds us of this end. This term doxology, I'm sure you've heard it. Of course, we know the song, the doxology from Psalm 100. We're going to sing that together at the end of our time here. But doxology means to give praise or glory to someone or something. 
And here, this doxology, this giving praise is to God. And as we look at these two verses, 24 and 25, we're going to look at them through the structure or lens of what a doxology consists of. And it consists of four parts. The one who's being addressed. So who are we talking to? Who are we giving praise to? Okay. And then what honor are you giving them? So this is, you know, Joe, and we are ascribing to him honor. And then the third part is duration. How long? Forever? Just for a little bit until he isn't so great? (laughs) And then the last part is the response of those who are giving praise. So we're going to look at the addressee, the honor that is bestowed, the duration of this honor, and then the response of the, those giving praise. There are examples of doxologies like this found in Romans and Ephesians, which we just read together, and in 2 Peter, and several other places throughout the scriptures. But let's look here at these two verses and what Jude reminds us of and why we are to praise God. So first off, the addressee of this praise, the addressee. Jude starts, now to him who is able. The one addressed here is God. Pretty simple, God. Specifically, God the Father, as we read in verse 25, how he also mentions separately here Jesus, but it all works together. (laughs) That we can rightly ascribe these things to the working of all the persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jude says, to him who is able. The simple phrase denotes the ability to do something. He who is able. Many of you would be familiar with the song, He is Able. Right? He is able. There's actions. I don't know all the actions. He is able. He can do. Now, why is that important? Now, to him who is able, who is the one who has the power, the ability to do these things, Jude is reminding his readers that they are giving praise to God and he is the one who is able to do all these things. Not a human individual, not these false teachers or these false religions or or any other false thinking or teachings around them, but to the one who is able. God is able. That's important for us because oftentimes we think God isn't able, right? We look at a situation, we think, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? Can anything be done? Now, from a human perspective, no. But from a spiritual, heavenly perspective, yes, God can do something. You look at our situation of sin, being dead in our trespasses, being enemies of God, what can we do? Nothing. But there is one who is able, God. So the one who is able... Far too often we are reminded of our lack of ability to do or to change circumstances or accomplish something. But God can change these things, can work through these things. And what is he able to do? There are three phrases here that Jude uses. First of all, he is able to keep you from stumbling. He's able to present you blameless before his presence. And he is the one who can save us. So now to him who is able, first off, to keep you from stumbling. This word keep has been used in Jude a few times, right? All the way back uh, in verse 1, those who are kept for Jesus Christ. And then just recently in verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. 
So this idea of keeping is important. And literally, it means to stand up, to prop up, to hold in place, um, to keep, to hold fast. So God is able to stand us up, to present us, to hold us up, to prop us up, to keep us in place. And he's able to keep us from stumbling. And this word has been, uh, it's important and it's really interesting because it, it denotes falling or into, into waywardness, into falsehoods. Literally, this is what the false teachers have done. They have stumbled, right? They have lost their footing. They fall down. But look at the contrast. Look, look at the picture that Jude is painting here. He's saying the Lord is able to prop you up and to keep you from falling down. Where the false teachers are the ones that have fall down, that have fell away. But the Lord is able to keep you up. There's that contrast there. From stumbling and falling into standing secure. Now this doesn't mean that we don't have difficulties or trials, but that through the difficulties and trials of the Christian life, we are kept secure by the only one who can truly hold us, who can bear the weight of a human soul. That's God himself. God is the one who can keep us, who holds us from stumbling. To keep us from stumbling. And not only from stumbling, but to present us blameless. This word present shares many similarities with that of keeping, of putting up in front of, or to to present, to stand up, to contrast the stumbling that we already read about. Rather than letting us fall, what does the Lord do? He picks us up and he presents us before himself. Before the presence of his glory with great joy. Now that's an interesting thought because when we read in scripture of individuals being in the glory or the presence of the glory of God, generally it's not with great joy. Isaiah is taken to the throne room of God. What does Isaiah do? He falls down. He says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. He is in awe and has a healthy, reverent fear of of who God is. Think of other accounts in the Old Testament of of people coming face to face with the glory of God. It's a fearful thing because of God's holiness and the sinfulness of man. Even Peter, in the Gospels, Peter witnesses what Jesus does out on the sea. And what what does Peter say to Jesus? Get away from me. Leave, leave. He has the same reaction that Isaiah does when he's face-to-face with the glory of God. But here, God keeps us, but he also presents us blameless. Why can we stand in the presence of his glory with great joy? Because he is the one who makes us blameless through Jesus Christ. We have access, Hebrews says, because of Jesus through his sacrifice. We can stand in the presence of God blameless because when God looks at us, he sees Jesus' righteousness. And he says, you can be here in my presence. God, the addressee, what can he do? Well, he's able to keep us from stumbling, to keep us from falling wayward into false teaching and sin. And, And he's able to present us blameless before his own presence of his glory with great joy. There is great joy in being presented 
before God, of enjoying his presence. In the end of Revelation, in 21 and 22, it talks about those who trusted in Christ and who are going to dwell with God forever. And God will be where? Separated from them? No, he will be in our midst. We will be in his presence. There's no need for the sun, right? The S-U-N, because God is there and he is the light for everything. This presence we are going to enjoy with great joy because we are presented blameless through Christ. Jude already has this end in mind that the Lord will keep us and he keeps us so thoroughly that we can be with him forever. And he's the only God. This one who's being addressed here is the only God. Verse 25 begins with the only God. It's a simple statement. We look at it and we say, well, yeah, well, this would be huge in the first century. There's only one God. And it's this God that Jude is giving praise to. To the only God, our Savior. Now, this is interesting. He is attributing being a Savior to God. More directly, God the Father. And so you think, well, Jesus is our Savior. Well, yes, that's correct. But as you take a step back, who we say who saves us? Well, God saves us, right? The Father, through his plan and will, the plan of redemption, and Jesus being the, the sacrifice and, and the one bearing the sin and being raised from the dead and the work of the Spirit through it all. So we call Jesus our Savior. We understand that God, all three persons of the Trinity, were active throughout all of that. So here Jude attributes to God the Father as being the Savior, which works, <laughs> which is appropriate, to the only God who is our Savior. He's not a condemning God, but rather is one who saves. And he does so, how? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, and that term Lord is important. It means master, the one who is the authority. To Jesus Christ our Lord, the one who we are to submit our lives to. It goes back to verse 1, where Jude says he is a slave of Jesus Christ. He's a slave. He's a servant of Jesus. Jesus is his Lord. As a believer, Jesus is your Lord. You can't say, well, I believe in Jesus and I can want to live my life however I want to. That doesn't work. You either trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or you don't trust Christ. Now, there are times of waywardness and sin. I understand that. But to say that you are truly redeemed and believe in Jesus, but yet live however you want, is contrary to the gospel. It's contrary to Jesus, right? What does Jesus say? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow after me. It's not just saying, take my name and live however you want. Judah's saying, Jesus Christ, our Lord, to our Savior, to the only God. This is the one he's addressing the God who is able to keep us from stumbling, to present us blameless, and to save us through his son Jesus. This is the God that he's giving praise to. But what honor is he ascribing to God? That's our second point, is honor, the honor that's rehearsed. And the reason for praise, Jude rattles off what the resulting honor should be for this one that he's addressing. Glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. B, to him who is able to keep you, to present you, to save you, to him be glory is the first 
first thing here. Glory is the idea of honor itself, ascribing honor to someone because of their inherent quality or deeds. Because of God's honorable character and his honorable deeds, glory is ascribed to his name. All right, glory to his name, the hymn goes. Why? Because of what he's done, who he is, his character, his quality. Glory is due him. The second term is dominion. Or excuse me, the second term is majesty. This carries a regal significance, right? The, your majesty is a term that we, well, we don't use it. <laughs> um, but other countries who have a king or queen, your majesty, it denotes this magisterial, this regal authority, the idea of kingship. This term demonstrates that they are above those who serve them. And here, Jude describes this majesty to the one true king. It's an all-encompassing quality of God's attributes and character that he is the one who is ruling and reigning. And he reinforces this with the next two phrases, dominion and authority. And they really go hand in hand. They contain the kingship of majesty, but with them comes the ability of power and sovereignty over his domain, which is all creation. God is the one to whom all power resides. All control is demonstrated by him. The one who knows all and receives dominion and authority. Nothing happens in his realm without him allowing it to happen. Jude is even reminding his readers of the false teachers that they are under the authority and dominion of God. Though they claim not to be, they will one day reap the consequences of their choices and actions. Because God has dominion and authority. Glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. These are big words with big meanings and big implications. This is not a human we're talking about or any other created thing, but the one who created all and is overall. Everything belongs to him. He can decide what is best for it. He is the one who is glorious in his character. He is glorious in what he does. He is majestic and beautiful and altogether lovely. He has all power and authority and dominion. This is what he deserves and this is what he has. God is all these things and he deserves all this praise. And the third thing here is then the duration of this. Jude has described the addressee. He has described the honor being bestowed and now he gives the duration. It's a simple answer. Forever. Forever. To him who is able to keep you, to present you, to save you, to him belongs glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time. So going back in eternity past, before time began, in eternity past, God deserved all this praise. And now, he says, at this time, at this point in time, he deserves this praise and forever. Before time began, everything that's happening right now and everything that will happen for eternity, God is deserving of all this praise. Times change, circumstances change, yet the Lord is worthy of our worship always. There's no doing away with the one true God, no matter what these false teachers say. 
no matter the direction of culture or the sinfulness of our own hearts, God is always worthy of being praised. In eternity past, in eternity future, and right now. And that's interesting. And that's hard. Because we love to say, God is to be praised in eternity past. And he deserves to be praised forever. But in the midst of my difficult circumstances, right now, at this point in time, I don't know if God is worthy of my praise. We can say, eternity past, yeah, eternity future, you bet. I don't know, God, right now it's really hard to praise you. <laughs> I don't know if you're worthy of it. To a certain degree, I understand that. That's trials, that's difficulties. But Jude is reminding us, and the rest of Scripture reminds us, that God is worthy of our praise during the difficult times as much as the good times. At those times when we think he doesn't deserve it, he deserves it. He is worthy forever of our praise. He always has been and he always will be. And as things are now, he is deserving. This helps correct our perspective on how we look at what a life of praise should look like. It's not just what has happened or what will happen, but right now as well. So praise belongs to God, honor, glory, majesty, dominion, forever. And then what is our response? It's a one word, simple response. Amen. Amen. Now we hear amen and we think, well, that's what we say at the end of the prayer so everyone knows that we're done, right? So you're not like, are we done here, you know? <laughs> or instantly you get hungry after you say amen because, you know, pray before a meal, it's Pavlov dog there. But amen, th this phrase, truly, certainly, it is so. This is a term of response. The people who are praising God are ascribing to him all these things. And the response of the people is amen. It is so. And this is where we fit in. Where you and I do. As we read these verses, they are great verses. They are great reminders of who God is and what he is deserving of and what he's done. But that last phrase, amen, this is so. Can you say that in your own heart and mind? This is so. I agree. Yes, it is. Jude concludes his brief letter with this brief note of recognizing the power, authority, dominion, and glory that is due to the one true God. No matter the argument by the false teachers, they cannot overcome the truth of who God is and what he's done for us through Christ. Arguments and discussions, flattering falsehoods can go on and on, but in the end, God wins out. And at the end, those of us who truly know Jesus Christ, who are submitted to him and living lives for him, our simple refrain, our simple response is amen. It is so. Lord, you call me to do this. You've done this in my life. You're deserving of all these things. Yes, it is so. And sometimes one must say amen to who God is and let him work. So as we think of the one being addressed, the honor given to him, the duration of this praise and our response, a few things to think of and apply to our lives after looking at this doxology. Real briefly here. We must be careful that as we think of giving praise to God, that our words do not become thoughtless and routine. I don't know how many times I've read this in my study, 
even as a benediction here at the end of our services, or you're just familiar with it, that what we are saying is life-changing. What we are saying is an entire worldview and way to live your life. Do not let it become just words. Growing up in the church that I grew up in, it was a liturgical church. And I could recite the liturgy as a young child. I knew when to stand up and sit down and fight, 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 and all that stuff, right? I knew what was being sung in the tune without knowing what I was singing. And yet when I was converted to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I truly believed the gospel when I was in high school, and I went back and attended, and I was aware of what we were actually saying. We were singing scripture. And it was beautiful. But the majority of the people there had no idea. Or they knew it, and it's just what you did. It became rote. It became muscle memory. And it was, had no impact on their mind what they were thinking. Everyone there was just the normal, boring liturgy that they sang at church every Sunday. And you may say, well, we're not a liturgical church. Every church has a liturgy. Some just more formal than others, right? You know what to expect uh, in a certain pattern at our church. But we need to be aware that we do not allow the things that we do regularly, which we should, sing, pray, read scripture, to become mindless activities. But they should engage our hearts and our minds to the truth of who God is. Let us not become complacent when we talk about the greatness and majesty of God. When we sing Some of us are more prone to show uh, our emotions or demonstrate our affections when we sing. And that's fine. We don't all need to be these fake rah, rah, rah. But some of you want to lift your hand. It's okay. Go ahead. If you are moved to tears as you sing a song at church, that is appropriate and good and right. If you are filled with boldness and courage to go forth and you clench your fists and say, yes, Lord, that is right as well because what you are singing is, it's taking root in your mind, in your heart, and it's having an effect on you saying, this is the God that I worship. This is the God that I want to serve with my life, and, and I can't but help to praise him and have a physical response. We must be careful that we do not allow praise to God to become commonplace and rote and meh in our lives. He is the almighty, infinite creator and sustainer of the universe who is so loving and gracious that he gave us his own son to die for poor sinners like us. Let us never get to the point in our life where giving praise to God, rehearsing the gospel, and rejoicing in the truth of his word becomes boring. Secondly, think of the promise and security that Jude describes. He is able to keep us. He is the one who presents us blameless. This is a great reminder for us as we struggle in our Christian life that's hard, the Lord is keeping you and holding you. He is the one who has paid the penalty for your sin. There is no condemnation now for those who are in Jesus Christ. Think of the hope and the security and the anchor to your soul that these verses remind us of. He will hold us fast. When life overwhelms you, when troubles come, when sickness comes, when something unexpected comes along in your life. Maybe for good or for ill, or you just aren't quite sure yet. Rest secure in who God is and what he's done. It might be something life-changing. It might be something small. But through the ups and downs of life, find your rest in God 
who's holding you. God is able to keep us from stumbling and he will present you blameless if you know Christ as your savior. And then lastly, the simple phrase in verse 25, to the only God. And we say this with our lips, but our lives may say it differently. That's what the false teachers did, right? They were saying, I believe this, but their lives showed something else. And this is a constant battle in the life of the believer to the only God. Oftentimes, we can have many gods with a small g in our lives. Money, pleasure, material things, notoriety, social standing, you name it. There are a thousand things we can put in the place of God, but our God is the only thing that can present us blameless. Our God is the only thing that can keep us from stumbling. Our God is the only one who is worthy of glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. So guard your hearts and guard what you give glory to and what you live for. Does it even compare to God? Or does God so overwhelmingly shadow it in your life that you can't even comprehend the idea of replacing God with this trivial thing? God is eternal. Your fleeting passion or pleasure is not. So to the only God, may we give praise and honor. As we wrap up the book of Jude here, as we think of contending for the faith, of standing for the truth, it all comes back to this, that we would be a people so overwhelmed with who God is and what he's done that we can do nothing but point people back to him through our lives and our lips and our love for him. Not that things will not be difficult, there'll be struggles and ups and downs, but for those of us who truly know Jesus Christ as our Savior, that the desire of our life is to serve him and to give him the praise that is due his name. Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to sing and to give praise to you. Thank you for our short study here in the book of Jude, the need to contend for the faith and the reason why we are contending for you and the truth of who you are and your word. Lord, pray that we would live lives of praise to you, that we'd give honor that is due your name. Help us to not only speak it with our mouths, but to live it with our lives, giving praise and honor to you and sharing with others the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. To the one who is worthy of all praise, we pray this. Amen.